Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah, I got some, got some energy over here. Cool. That's great. Hey, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Tony Harden, and I'm the discipleship pastor uh, here at the church. And I uh, just wanted to say welcome and thank you guys for worshiping with us this morning. I had the opportunity to run into somebody who is visiting here today and uh, talked to him for a little bit, and he said, you know, there's no shortage of churches in Woodford County to choose from. And so uh, I just want to say thank you for those of you that have chosen uh, to worship here with us at Journey Church. And I want to re reiterate what Raf said. If you, if you haven't filled out that Connect card already, uh, please do so. We just want to connect with you and just let you know a little bit more about us. And again, Raf mentioned the uh, 101 presentation that's going to take place next week. It's going to be right out in the uh, room where we serve the coffee at 11 a.m. It's just a really informal way for you to get to know who we are and kind of what we're all about and what we believe in. Sometimes when you visit a church, when, you, when you're trying out a new place, you kind of have to learn all that kind of through osmosis. And so we want to try to give it to you in about 45 minutes. And so uh, you're welcome to come and join us next Sunday. You don't have to sign up. Uh, you just show up. And so we would love to, to have you. I uh, want to uh, go into this, uh, this series. I get the privilege of presenting to you as a part of this series, this series called Road to Recovery. And we're leading up to uh, a launch date in September for our Celebrate Recovery uh, that's going to happen right here at Journey Church. We're hoping that's not just a journey thing, that it's a community thing, uh, because everybody has these hurts and these, these, these hang-ups and these habits that keep us from being the people that God wants us to be. And so Randy, for the last couple of weeks, has, uh, we've been going down the acrostic, the word recovery. And so the first week, uh, Randy talked about the letter R, and th that stands for realize. And, and that means that I need to realize that I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable. So that's what the R means. And then last week, Randy talked about the E in the word recovery. And that E stands for earnestly. And it means that I need to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and He has the power to help me recover. And so today, I'm going to be talking about, if you haven't guessed, the, the letter C, which stands for consciously. I need to consciously choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. I want to share with you from the book of Matthew, verse 11, or chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. When Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and overburdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think what Jesus is telling us is that we need to learn how to surrender control of our lives to Him. And so the title of my sermon today is called Letting Go. Letting Go. We need to let go of the things that keep us from a life that Jesus calls us to live. That's a difficult thing to do. I mean, I'm going to be real honest with you. That's tough for me. Letting go is hard. Letting go control is very difficult, and it's a big step for most of us. I want to talk about a few things that can keep us from doing that. And I can speak from experience in a lot of this, but the first thing that I think that can keep us from letting go is pride. 
I think that, that can keep us from admitting that we need help in the first place. And so pride is a dangerous thing. In Proverbs it says, Arrogant people are on the way to ruin because they won't admit it when they need help. And i got a question for you. How long do you think I'll drive being lost until I stop for ask for, to ask for questions? <laughs> that was my wife, by the way. But um, I was going to say, ask her because she can give you a good estimate about how long I would do that. That's just me. Because the reason, the reason that is is because I am in control right up until the point that everything falls apart. That, that's me, and I, I guess that kind of just makes me a big dumb male. I don't know, but, but, uh, but that's me. That's my personality. I don't want to stop and ask for directions. Proverbs says the self-sufficient fool falls flat on his face. And maybe you're not ready to take that step to surrender control to Jesus. Maybe you're saying, you know, it's just not me right now. I'm not ready to give up the control of my life to the care of Christ. And maybe all you need is a really big smackdown or to fall really hard on your face to make that happen. And I'll be honest with you, God's willing to let that happen in your life if that's what it takes to get your attention. I'm speaking from experience. I've been there. You know, there's another thing that can keep us from taking this important step, and it's guilt. Guilt can keep us from taking that step. The psalmist wrote, Problems far too big for me to solve are piled higher than my head. Meanwhile, my sins, too many to count, have caught up with me, and I'm ashamed to look up. You know, I was having breakfast with a friend a couple of weeks ago, and he opened up to me, and he shared with me a hang-up he has that keeps him from going to church, from having a church family. And then the next week, he shared with me, he said, you know, after I left that meeting with you, I felt really embarrassed about that. I felt really ashamed about this hang-up that I can't get over. And, you know, I told him, I said, don't feel ashamed at all. It's like, that's just an indication of where you are on your journey. And I want to encourage you to take that next step. Let's get past that. Don't let that create, the, don't let that be an obstacle for you to be living the way God's calling you to live. You know, sometimes that is just an indicator of where we are on our journey, but you know the fact that he opened up and was willing to tell me that? Man, that's a win. I, I, I was on cloud nine after I left that meeting with him because isn't admitting our problem the first step to getting past it? You know, another thing that can keep us uh, from making that decision is fear. Is fear. Sometimes I think it's a fear of what we might have to give up. And have you ever heard the story? Maybe you've heard this, this, this story of the guy that falls off the thousand-foot cliff. And halfway down, 500 feet, he grabs onto a branch. And in desperation, he yells up and says, Is there anybody up there to help me? And then God calls down in an audible voice and says, Just let go, and I'll catch you. 
And so the guy's hanging there, and he, he looks down the 500 feet, and then he looks back up and says, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> See, sometimes letting go looks like we're giving up our safety or comfort. But learning how to let go saves us from so much more. Another thing that can keep us from making that decision is, is uh, worry. You know, worry can paralyze us from ever making that call. You know, today I'm really happy because I get to share an analogy about the Apollo lunar mission. You know, if you know me, I love that stuff. I could bore you for hours with details. I'm not going to do that right now, but, but I am going to share you this, this story with you. In 1961, John F. Kennedy, before a joint session of Congress, made a, a crazy announcement. He said, before the end of this decade, we're going to send a man to the moon, and we're going to land him there safely, and then we're going to bring him home. And we're going to do this not because it's an easy thing to do, but because it's hard. See, John F. Kennedy made a decision that day. But as I've studied this a little bit more, he really didn't spend a whole lot of time talking to NASA engineers and scientists about how possible it even was. He didn't. He, what I'm saying is he didn't worry about all the details. He didn't worry through all that before he made the decision. There, there's a story, and I'm not sure if this is absolutely true. It's kind of a rumor. But there was a, a man by the name of Dr. Debuse, and he was the launch operations director in Alabama at the time for NASA, and all this was falling on him. And there's, there's a rumor that a day or two after Kennedy had made that famous speech to Congress, and a day after that he made the same speech to the students at the University of, of Rice, that, that this guy, this debut, stood up at a chalkboard with his scientists and his people, and they were writing down what they were going to have to solve to fulfill this promise that Kennedy had just made to the world. And so they stood at the chalkboard and he said, okay, first thing we've got to do is we've got to launch a man into space. Hadn't done it at the time. And so they wrote that down on the list. Okay, the next thing that we're going to have to do is, is have a powerful enough vehicle that will insert this man into geocentric orbit around the earth. And they wrote that down. And then they said, then we're going to have to build this rocket that's powerful enough to propel this guy out of the orbit from earth through a 250-mile vacuum of vastness of space into lunar orbit. And they wrote that down. And then they said, then we're going to have to slow the whole thing down, slow enough that, it, that, that he'll make a soft landing on the moon. And they wrote that down. And then we're going to have to devise systems that's going to keep this guy safe in an atmosphere, in the vacuum of space, where the difference in temperature between shade and sunlight is 200 degrees. And they wrote that down. And then they said, we're going to have to devise a way to launch this guy off of the earth, reverse the whole process, go back through that 250,000 mile journey back to earth, reaching speeds of about 35,000 miles per hour, and slowing it down enough to make a soft landing on earth so that he'll survive it. And he wrote that down, and it said that he put his chalk down on the board, stepped back, looked at these problems and looked at the enormity of having to figure this out. Then he turned around and said, okay, who wants my job? 
And the room erupted into laughter just like you guys just did. And he said, no, seriously, who wants my job? And see, what, I, what I've come to learn is if Kennedy would have tried to, to worry, if he would have worried about all those problems before he made that decision, the first man on the surface of the moon might have been speaking a different language than English. He didn't worry. He made the decision. You know, this, this kind of made me think of a more personal analogy. My wife and I made a decision back in February uh, to scale down and build a house. And we, uh, our son's moved, moved out. He's on his own, and so we don't need all that square footage. We wanted a little bit more land, and so we made the decision to build the house. Now, did we worry about all the problems that was going to create? We probably didn't even realize all the problems that it was going to create at the time. But no, we didn't. We made that decision. And so we went on about it. We, we were planning our way through it, and we had this great plan. Uh, we were going to start construction, and I was gonna, we were going to put our house on the market, and we were going to take 60 to 90 days to sell the house. And maybe if we sold the house before it was done, we'd live in our camper, you know, out on the property. And so we went, went about this. We timed it just right. We put the house on the market. It sold in 20 hours. <laughs> so the, so the, the, the 30 days in the camper has now, now looking like it might be 90 days. And so a friend of mine, when I was telling him how our house sold so fast, he said, he, he said man, God really blessed you. And I said, we're living in 200 square feet. He blessed us really hard. But if we, had, if we had worried about it, if we had just wrung our hands about all those problems, we might, we might still be living at 743 Eureka Drive, which in a couple of months might not feel like a bad thing. But, but, but anyway, we didn't let worry stifle us. And we can't let worry keep us from taking that step of letting go and surrendering control to Christ. There's another thing that I'd like to share with you that can keep us from making that, uh, that step, and it's doubt. Doubt. Uh, the book of Mark, it says this, While Jesus was still speaking, people from Jairus' house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? But when Jesus overheard what, what they were saying, he told Jairus, Don't be afraid. Only believe. Now, I want to rewind this story just a little bit and tell you who Jairus was. Jairus was a synagogue leader. Jairus was a member of this group of people that were antagonists to Christ. And Jairus had just come to Jesus and fell at his feet and begged him to save his dying daughter. And then Jairus' pleas were interrupted by the hemorrhagic woman that touched Jesus' robe and was healed. And so while Jesus was speaking... Jairus' friends from his house came and said, you know, it's, it's too late. She's dead. Don't bother this guy anymore. And Jesus overheard it and said, no, all you got to do is believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And if you know the story, Jairus' daughter was brought back to life by Christ. Now, the reason I bring this up it's because if you really listen, Jesus' response to Jairus was saying, don't be afraid, only believe. See, I think Jairus had his doubts. I think Jairus had some conflict because, again, he was, he was a synagogue leader. He was in and among all those people that, that were against Christ and were trying 
to do him in. And so, but, but he went to him and, and he fell at Jesus' feet and he begged him. And what saved his daughter was not his pleas, but his belief in Christ. See, Jesus said, only believe. It doesn't take a whole lot of faith, folks. It just takes faith. It's not the size of your faith. When we went to Israel, we were there in the spring, right, Eric? And we got to see some wild mustard plants. And, you know, they're taller than us. uh, But the seeds, you can't hardly even see them. And the Bible talks about a faith the size of a mustard seed is, is huge. It's a powerful thing. So it's not the size of our faith that counts. It's what we put our faith in that counts. See, I can put my faith into some big things. And I've done that before in my life, and it never turns out right. But if we put our faith in Christ, that's when our doubts can be dispelled. That's the only thing that can get rid of our doubts. So it's easy for me to stand up here and share with you the things that can keep us from doing this, but I'm sure you'd like to hear about some things that can help us take this step towards letting go and surrendering our life to Christ. One thing, the very first thing that we have to do is we have to accept God's Son as our Savior. Admitting that we need to be saved is the first step towards surrendering our life to Jesus. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. What does that mean? Well, I've got this definition for you, and I I want you to listen to this really closely. Matter of fact, write this down when I share this with you, because I think this is so important, and it ties so well into our mission here at Journey Church. What it means to believe in Jesus is this. It means committing as much of myself as I understand at this moment to as much of Christ as I understand at this moment. Let me say that again. Committing as much of myself as I understand at this moment to as much of Christ as I understand at this moment. What I'm saying is is that we don't have to have a complete understanding of everything before we can come to Christ. We don't have to to get rid of all of our hurts and our hang-ups and our habits before we can come to Christ. It's just the opposite. We don't have a chance against anything unless we first come to Christ. I, I had a good friend of mine that years ago probably 20 years ago, and we were talking about faith, and he said, you know, I, I, can't, I can't come to Jesus because I drink a six-pack of beer a day. I'm destroying my body, and I would be just a hypocrite to come and give my life to Christ. Now, I want to share good news with you. I mean, he, he definitely got over that, and, and, and he came to Jesus, and he accepted him. But what he, he had the wrong idea. He said he had the idea that he had to clean himself up before he could come to the foot of the cross. And I think that there's no way we're going to do that. Uh, we're not going to clean ourselves up before we meet Jesus. We stand the chance when we come to the foot of the cross and we accept him as our Savior. The next thing that we can do is we need to accept God's word as our standard. Amen. We need to accept God's word as our standard 
In 2 Timothy, Paul said, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, which means good living. We need to accept His Word. God's Word was a powerful resource for Jesus. If you study the life of Christ, Jesus knew Scripture. I believe that He learned Scripture as a young boy. Not only did He know it, but he knew how to use it and when to use it. During his ministry, he quoted from Scripture 80 times from 70 different verses. See, the, the Word, God's Word, was a powerful resource for Jesus, and it's just as powerful for us when we accept it as our standard. Another thing that we need to do is we need to accept God's will as our strategy as our goal in life. We need to accept His will. We need to ask this question, God, what would you have me do? Every time we wake up, because I believe that whenever God wakes me up in the morning, He's waking me up because He's got something for me to do. Because He desires for me to act in His will. God made us for a purpose. Matthew 28 says that as you go about your business on a daily basis, you're to share good news about my salvation with the people that you come into contact with, and you're to teach them my commands and make disciples out of them and teach them to go and do the same and repeat the process. That's God's will for us. We lose sight and we try to add so much to that, but the bottom line is... That's God's will for us in our life. I believe that with all my heart. We're to learn to walk as Jesus walked and teach people how to do the same thing. Teach others that we can influence in our life to do the same thing. That's His will for us. And you know, it's not something that we should do because we have to and roll our eyes like it's a chore, like it's taking out the garbage. When we love Jesus, if we say we love Jesus, we're going to want to do that. We're going to want to do it. How can I say to someone, you know, I love you, but the this, this stuff that you want me to do, yeah, I don't have any part of that, I don't have the skill set or the talents. You know, if you love someone, you're going to go out of your way to do the things that they ask you to do. The next thing that we need to do, this is a big one for me, we need to accept God's power is our strength. In Philippians, Paul said, I can do everything God asked me with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power. Now, I want to come clean with all of you right now. There's been plenty of times in my adult life where that didn't make any sense to me. Now, I'm just being honest with you. Whenever someone would tell me something like that, I would say, you know, yeah, Jesus did some pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, he's God. It was easy for him. I'm, I'm a man. I can't do that. And you know what I've learned late in life, too, too late in life, is that's just a big Christian cop-out. It's just a cop-out to say that, yeah, that, that Jesus did all that stuff because he's God and I'm not him, so I'm just going to sit back. See, Jesus was powerful. Um, he can do anything. We know that. This cop-out's made me understand that Jesus didn't call us 
to stand back in the shadows and watch him do the work of ministry. Don't we believe that? Isn't that what we think a lot? See, he doesn't call us to be spectators. He calls us to action. Jesus spent three and a half years of ministry on this earth, spending time with getting to know, equipping, and sending out his disciples to grow the kingdom here on earth. And folks, that's us. It's not just 12 guys 2,000 years ago. That Matthew 28 commission is for us. It's nothing more or less than God uh, giving us our marching orders and telling us what to do to take part in building His kingdom right here on earth. And we can do that one person at a time. We're not called to be passive spectators. And folks, we're certainly not powerless. Jesus had three powerful resources that he leveraged to do some pretty crazy things. And one of those we already talked about. He had Scripture. He had the Word. Not only did he know Scripture, but he knew that it was a foretelling of him and his ministry. And Jesus used Scripture to respond to a lot of his naysayers. And he always had that verse. He always had that, that verse that was so appropriate at the time for the things that people were throwing at him. Jesus had that powerful resource of Scripture. He also had the powerful resource of prayer. He prayed extensively. He prayed for hours. He prayed sometimes all night. At first in his ministry, he, he went off alone and he prayed. As, as he developed these disciples, as he went, he started including them in corporate prayer. There's, there's times when I'm convinced in reading Scripture that Jesus didn't really know what the next move was going to be, but after an extended time of prayer, God gave him his marching orders. And it's no different for us. You know, one thing I, I think that the, the church in general, not just our church, but church in general, we've gotten away from that idea that prayer has power. There's one thing that we're starting to do that I think is a wonderful first step. On the first and third Saturday of every month, we're meeting upstairs in the youth sanctuary to pray for an hour. And that's to pray for our community, it's to pray for the ministry of the church, it's to pray for whatever comes on our heart. And I'm telling you, there's been some pretty powerful things, some pretty crazy things that have come from that. So why should we be surprised? And I want to I challenge you all. That isn't just for staff. It isn't just for elders and leaders in the church. It's open for all of us. And so I want to challenge you to come on the first and third Saturday of the month. I'm asking for two hours of your month. You know, someone told me once some, that, that I tend to ask too much of people. When I think of maybe one or two hours a month, I don't really know how to ask, ask much less. But I'm telling you, I'll make, I'll make this deal for you. You show up and you pray with us for an hour. And if something crazy doesn't happen, sleep in the next week. But I, I think I've got a pretty good chance of winning on that bet. Come and pray with us on Saturday. Jesus also had the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended upon him. And Jesus leveraged the power of the Holy Spirit to raise the dead to heal the sick, and to control nature and the elements. And the crazy thing is, and test me on this, try it out, 
Jesus never took credit for any of it. He always exalted the Father and always talked about the power of the Holy Spirit that made it possible. See, that's how he performed those miracles. And folks, we have the power of the Holy Spirit as well. Somebody asked me once why we don't see miracles today. One thing is I think we do, we just don't recognize them. But there's another answer that I have for that too. It's like sometimes I think that we don't see miracles. That question kind of answers the question. is because we don't believe they can happen. See, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do some crazy things. Jesus said in John 14, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Do you believe that, church? We're not powerless, and we're not spectators. We have the same resources available to us that Jesus had available to them, and he wants us to use them. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door, and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. And we'll share a meal together as friends. That makes me a little emotional when I, hear, when I read that. Jesus is knocking at the door of your life. There's no doubt in my mind. But I'm going to tell you something. He's not going to knock it down. See, accepting God's will, that third step that I talked about, is to open the door. The key to unlocking the door is willingness. See, there's, there, there's a term that sounds close to willingness, and it's willpower. Willpower and willingness. Sometimes I think that maybe it kind of means the same thing. But the bottom line is, folks, you don't need willpower. You need to be willing to accept God's power and go by His controls. You know, I, I love aviation, and I... And there's a couple of terms, there's a couple of flight rules that pilots use. I just ran into a friend of mine at the store this morning, and he's a pilot, and he's off to wherever, unknown. But, but uh, they fly by different flight rules. To this morning, he might be flying by IFR, which is instrument flight rules, because it's cloudy out. But, but most of the time, pilots fly by visual flight rules. And what that means is you get in the plane, you line up on the runway, you take off, and you look out the windscreen, and, and you check for traffic, the attitude of the plane, you keep it level by comparing it to the horizon, and things are just fine. Works great. And everybody flies by visual flight rules, and, and it works perfectly until the clouds set in. If you've heard the story, I know you have, the story of John Kennedy Jr. When one summer evening, he made a poor decision to take off it was a warm, muggy summer day. And as the sun began to set, the horizon disappeared from the windscreen. And he wasn't trained in instrument flight rules. So his plane got in an attitude, in a banked attitude, and he didn't even know it. And so he started this spiral. And it surmised that when he realized what was going on, he did what most inexperienced pilots do, and he pulled back on the yoke. And that only tightened the spiral, and it led to his demise. He crashed into the ocean, killing himself, his wife, and his sister-in-law. 
And see, when we're, when we're flying around on visual flight rules, an experienced pilot, when the clouds set in and the horizon disappears, he reaches down and flips a switch, and he lets go of the yoke. And he trusts what his instruments are telling him, and he doesn't rely on what he can see. Are you flying visual flight rules? Are you flying instruments when it comes to your faith life? Folks, we need to learn how to flip that switch and how to let go of that yoke and trust in Christ. We need to learn how to let go. You know, you may be out there and, and maybe you haven't accepted Christ. And so you don't even know what letting go means. I can't assume that there's some people out there that haven't done that. And I'm going to tell you the first thing you need to do. You may be holding tight onto your yoke, and you, and you may be white knuckling it. But the first thing you need to do is let go and accept Christ as your Savior. And so I, I, I'd be remiss to not have an opportunity to speak to you. I'm going to be up here uh, during this last song. I would love to pray with you and talk you through that whole process. And I'm going to tell you, you can't clean yourself up enough first. You can't, you can't let the hang-up that you've got or the habit that's holding you underwater keep you from doing that. This, that's just the only way you're going to recover is by accepting Christ. And so don't wait. Don't, don't, don't think that you got another day. I don't know if you got another day. I don't know if I've got another day. Or maybe you're out there and you're a Christian and... Um, you're, you're perfectly fine flying around, trusting your own sight. And maybe you feel like, you know, I, I just can't let go of this. I got this. But I'm going to tell you, the, the best thing that you can do today is make that decision. To let go. Let go and allow Christ to work in your life. Would you all pray with me as we wrap up our service? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the resources that you give us. And we thank you for this will, this commission that you have given us to perform until you come back. God, we love you. And it's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>